I'm Risa Williams, and this is The Motivation Mindset, where I talk to successful people about how they manage their time. I'm so happy today. It's the celebration of my book launch. My newest book is in stores today. It's called The Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit, 25 Tools to Boost Confidence, Achieve Goals, and Find Happiness. I hope you will check it out. Today, to help me celebrate, joining me here is Stephon Lewis. He is a fellow therapist, book author, and podcast host. He is the author of The Acknowledgement Journal, which is also in stores now. And he is the podcast host of How to Talk to High Achievers About Anything. Today on the show, we'll be talking about self-esteem tools. And we'll be talking about how to challenge those negative thoughts that we hold about ourselves as they pop up throughout our day. Welcome, Stephon Lewis, to the show. I'm so happy to see you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Risa. I'm happy to be here. This is going to be fun. So you are a busy person, even though when we were talking before, you described yourself as a turtle. And I think you're the fastest turtle I've ever met. You're always doing something. And every time I check in with you, you've got a new thing going on and you have a book out. You're all over Instagram. Talk to me a little bit about your approach to time and how you get things done. For sure. So I am a turtle and it's funny you call me the fastest turtle. Uh, (laughs) I guess I'll say I'm a turtle uh, at the beginning. Uh, And once I kind of get into my stride, I can go really fast. So when you see things, it's it's me kind of being in my comfort zone and being able to go quickly. But yeah, getting started, it takes me a minute. Uh, so like when I think about time and kind of how I approach things, it's I'm I'm slow because what I'll do is I plan a lot. And so I think things through. So like each step of, you know, what I'm going to be doing and how do I'm going to get to my goal. I put a lot of time and effort into it because I don't want to have to make a ton of adjustments. I guess kind of the way I think about things is that I need to control what I can control and, you know, adjust or or adopt a a new method for things that are out of my control that come up. Right. So how do we, a lot of people, when they think about planning things, sometimes it leads them to a stressful or anxious place. So how do you approach planning where you're not overdoing it, so to speak, and leading yourself to an anxious state? about what's coming next? That's a, a really great question because you're, you're right on on point is that people will overthink themselves into uh, kind of stagnation. Yeah. Um, I try to use a, a philosophy of I've got to do something in order to get somewhere. Uh, and so then it doesn't allow me to, to really stay still. Um, and so like as I'm planning things, I need to start doing things. Uh, I don't really kind of have to have the entire blueprint finished uh, I just got to have like the first step or two. And so what I've really adopted is that I just need to stay one or two steps ahead of myself of where I need to be and I can keep going forward. And right. I guess the way I think about it is is I use a ton of analogies. So it's kind of like a flashlight, right? Like, so the flashlight doesn't illuminate, you know, miles down the road, but it's far enough out in front of you that you can kind of keep going and see where you need to get to. I love that. I love, as you know, visual metaphors, because I think it helps us remember things. And it takes these complex ideas and just gives us an image to lock onto. So I like the flashlight. I often use like a foggy staircase as a metaphor where Mm -hmm. you can't see all the way at the top from the bottom. 
you know, you can't see the end of your goal really, or like how you're going to get there exactly, but we can see the first step and the second step. And then as you will go up the staircase, it clears and you start to see more ways you can accomplish your goal. I like that. I love analogies too. And that's why I use them because exactly what you said of making the complex, you know, kind of more understandable and not so uh, complicated or scary. Uh, So I really like the staircase analogy because like you said, I mean, you can't see the top of the staircase, but you know, you're going up and, you know, by the time you get closer to your goal, uh, you can see exactly what you need to do as you're making your way towards it. Right. So you and I both work with people who have anxiety or imposter syndrome and tend to get overwhelmed. And how do you go about breaking that down for someone when they're feeling a lot of overwhelm and a lot of anxiety? How do you kind of get them into the rational state of their brain more to lock into, okay, what are the logical, actionable mm-hmm. steps I can take? Uh, I cry and beg. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, please stop doing that. No. Uh, I, as you know, I kind of do a style of therapy uh, called rational emotive behavior therapy, which is really a fancy way of just saying that, you know, I believe that what we think impacts how we feel and that yeah. impacts what we do. So a lot of what I'm doing when, you know, I'm working with somebody overwhelmed or concerned that they're going to be found out to be a fraud or that if they make this decision, it could possibly have dire outcomes and be detrimental to their future success. Uh, that rational part is, is I kind of present back what they've said to me. Uh, so I do a really good job of reflecting. Uh, and by that, I mean, people will share all these fears that they have. And so I'll just start to ask these questions to kind of break it down a bit. So, for example, somebody might say, well, you know, I don't I don't want to disappoint anybody. And to me, I'm like, well, if you have this fear, then it must be based in reality. So you must disappoint people a lot. And so I'll ask them that, like, is that something you do often? You disappoint people? Well, no, I don't. And I'm, I don't want to. So then why are we so worried about something that you don't really do a whole lot? Like, help me understand why we would do that. Right. And so like when I get them to kind of think of it in that way, it's hard for them to let go of. But like they also have to kind of contend with the idea that I am kind of making up something that doesn't really happen. Like their time would be better served worrying about things that are actually probable than only the things that are possible. Like, is it possible that they could disappoint somebody? Sure. Is it highly probable that they're going to disappoint people? It doesn't sound like it. So in a way, you're teasing out their cognitive distortions by going with them into what they're saying, as opposed to just saying, like, somebody could have a negative belief, like, I'm the worst ever at, you know, filling out my taxes. And you could say, no, you're not. And then you're just arguing back and forth. Mm-hmm. So let's take that as an example, if you don't mind playing around with me on this. Yeah, if because I tax be season in- is coming. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so what? how would you challenge me with something like, I'm the worst ever. I never get it uh, done on time. Let's say this is what someone's saying to you. Sure. Oh, that's, that's great. Because then what I immediately ask is, well, how did you do last year on your taxes? Did you get them in or not? Uh, right. And, you know, they're like, yeah, I got them in, but I barely got them in. So you were still on time. Like you didn't, you weren't past the deadline. You didn't get penalties. You didn't go to jail. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I, so I start to kind of ask all these questions or put it out there. And they're like, no, no, no. But, you know, I, I waited to the last minute. And it was scary. And I thought I was going to owe and I didn't. And so then I'll start to say, well, when is the last time you did kind of miss the deadline and had to pay a huge penalty and also went to jail? And they're like, never. <laughs> Usually <laughs> what happens, like right. that never happened to them. It's like, okay, so then. 
you're telling me you're scared this year because this is the year that that's going to happen. You're absolutely going to miss the deadline. You're going to get a penalty and the IRS is going to come knock on your door and, you know, escort you off to jail. Why this year and not the other previous years? Nice. Yeah. So then you just lead them to a point where they have no more arguments. Right, 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 right. Like, like at some point they get to a place and they have to recognize like, well, now I'm just making things up. Yeah. So in a way it's investigating what's a fact and what's a feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And not to just assume because you're having a really intense feeling that that's a fact that you need to believe and dig down and feel. Right. Absolutely. And and what I try to teach, you know, people that I work with is that feelings are really a cue. So we should use our feelings to kind of propel us to investigate things further and <laughs> investigate things, things being our thinking. Um, and so like if you have you're having like a strong reaction or feeling towards something, a fear or you're angry or uh, you know, sad about something like those are okay to have, right? Like, I'm not saying don't have the feeling. I'm saying once you experience the feeling, let's ask ourselves, hey, what's causing this? Is this based in reality or is this based on something I'm telling myself that hasn't happened or isn't true? Nice. I love that. I love just reminding people it's a cue. It's not a fact. Right. And that, right. It, it sounds simple, but we do this all the time. We just accept our feelings as facts and we don't mm-hmm. question them and we don't probe them, you know, and it leads us to bad emotional places sometimes. A hundred percent. And that impacts our decision making. Like we right. will respond in a way that we're going to be arrested by the IRS this year uh, on April uh, the 16th and end up in jail <laughs> as a result of that. And as a result of even thinking that, your body releases all those stress chemicals. And so now your body is flooded and your brain is frozen and it's hard to even make a simple decision. Right, right, right. And so instead of like being able to make progress on getting your taxes done, you're focused on how are you going to survive jail? (laughs) In this imaginary situation you've just created in your head. Yes. 100%. When filling out the forms is hard enough. Let's be honest. Like, why add that on top of it and have your body completely freaked out with stress now? You know? Right, right. And I think, you know, kind of like when you just said filling out the paperwork, it's it's another thing that like there it becomes this, I guess, weird way that we tell ourselves we have to be perfect in order to avoid disaster. Nice. Yeah, exactly. And we get stuck on that so much that all or nothing Mm -hmm. thinking, if I don't do it perfectly, it will end so badly, not just neutral, but so badly. And if people don't understand, like, and this may sound weird when I say it, like how perfectly things have to go wrong for a bad outcome to actually happen. (laughs) Yeah. But Mm -hmm. we think if I just make this tiny little wrong decision, it will instantly equal something terrible. Yeah, like like almost like our life is a series of like dominoes stacked up. And like if we knock one over, they're all going to come tumbling down. It's like that's not really how it works. I heard somebody I know describe it as we tend to believe we are special in a negative way. Like Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's I a like good phrase, that. right? Like you're not it, special it really in a positive way. You are only special in a negative way. And this is a belief we tell ourselves. Yeah, and it would, yeah. it would mean like something like this. If I fill this form out, I'm special in a bad way. And yeah. they're going to catch this and it's going to be this terrible disaster. So maybe that's something we need to 
keep in mind, you know, am I always picturing myself special in a negative way? Right, right. And so, yeah, I I, I love that. I'm going to use that because now <laughs> it makes my mind go to this place of, well, how did you get this superpower to be so terrible? Like, what <laughs> you inherit that? Like, that is, does anybody else have it that you know, or are you the only person with it? <laughs> you know, it's not the thing to take on of where if something bad happens, it's like our responsibility or it's something we absolutely did. Like, sometimes good things happen and bad things happen. And it's not based on luck or it's just, you know, life is doing what life does. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that is unexamined beliefs about how we think life works sometimes, which is Mm -hmm. that, you know, I have to take all these steps and it's a linear path. And you and I both talk a lot about that. Like life isn't linear, you know, it's not, I've heard you describe it as like the stock market is up and down all the time. Right. Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. I love that. Like that's my one of my favorite analogies for like people to think about their their journey, like their life journey over time is to say, like, take a step back and look at the picture. I mean, it's going up and down every day, but like where your trend line. So, you know, if I go back to kindergarten, like my trend line of my intelligence <laughs> and things I've learned has like been really good in my mind. You know, hopefully people yeah. don't think I'm still like a kindergartner in, in the way that I operate. Uh, but it's gone up over time. But you know, I've had some good days and some bad days and, you know, it's gone up and down and there've been some spikes in either direction, uh, like some really great days and some really terrible ones. Uh, but over time, I, my life has gone in a, in a good direction. It's been positive. It's increased. Right. So the general trajectory is great if you see it that way from afar. Your mm-hmm. skills are increasing, your confidence is increasing, and you've gone so many places and done so many things over over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, right? So it's about stretching our time perspective a little bit. And that's what I hear a lot from people is they're often expecting themselves to do so much in so short a time period and not stepping back and getting that perspective and thinking, well, in one year, of course, I could move forward a little. It's like I have to move forward by tomorrow or else I'm a failure, right? Yeah, they have to have results now instantly, or it's not hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's like the digital age, right? Like if I didn't start today, then I'm never going to start. Or if I didn't make progress one day and I only made it, I made it six days and not the seventh, uh, then, you know, I'm going backwards all of a sudden. It's, that's not really how, how it all works. I mean, you know, I, I didn't go to college right after high school. I took some time off. I made it to college at some point, right? Like I didn't go to grad school right after I graduated undergrad. I made it to grad school at some point. Like you'll be okay. You can keep doing things. And I think that people really become fearful and get locked into this like sense of urgency that everything needs to happen all at once and right now. Right. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's just the pressure now? Because everybody's on social media and they want stuff to post and like we're doing all these success images all the time. It's like a stream Mm -hmm. of success and people feel like they're falling behind if they're taking their own time or going at their own pace. Yeah, I think that's exactly it is that I think people create these kind of false competitions with the rest of the world so that now instead of just looking at what other people are doing, they're looking at other pe- what other people are doing and then negatively comparing their kind of course or performance against that. Uh, so comparisons to me aren't like a bad thing. It's just saying this is how things are the same. This is how things are different. Uh, mm-hmm. I think what the people that we work with do is that they compare themselves and to see to see kind of negatively, like, right, like what I'm not accomplishing. What am I not doing? This person did this. I'm not doing that. I'm screwing up. I am not being productive. 
And I think when you start to kind of make these character assessments of yourself that are negative based on somebody else's performance, you're not running your own race that, you know, you don't know where you're going to end up on today. Uh, and you are not also sure that the way they're doing it is going to work for you. But yeah. we tell ourselves, or we, like you said, that unkind of question or unchecked uh, belief system, like we just allow that stuff to be true. And we operate as though it's fact that, oh, if I did it that way, I'd be extremely successful just like them. Not necessarily. That's not guaranteed. Yeah. There's so many other factors other than what you're seeing in the picture. I mean, there's right. some such a layered reality, like we're complicated. Our realities are multi-layered. We're just seeing one picture of one thing. You know, exactly. And stuff changes over time. And so, like, I use a ton of uh, sports analogies because I think sports are a really good way to kind of, you know, like universal way to understand things. So I yeah. think about like, you know, we think about great basketball players. So like if you take Michael Jordan, phenomenal, right? Like, you know, Michael Air Jordan, uh, we can all agree that like towards the end of his career, there was no air there. Like he wasn't like <laughs> soaring through the sky and still dunking over people and things like that really is still a really great basketball player and really effective and still the best in the league. Yeah. The air was gone for a while. Uh, <laughs> towards like, you know, the last, like maybe four or five, five years of his career didn't change that. He was still phenomenal and impactful. And I think that people underestimate like the ability to kind of transition or evolve or, you know, develop and grow out of, or grow into, uh, yeah. you know, spaces in there. Like, well, if I was this, I have to be this forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's another component. It, when it comes to self-esteem is that unwillingness to accept change, you know, and to evolve and to really learn to like yourself through all the different stages you go through rather than getting stuck. Like I was at peak performance in my twenties and I am not now what is yeah. wrong with me? I'm the worst, you know, that kind of com not only comparing yourself to other people, but comparing yourself to past images of mm -hmm. yourself really mm -hmm. gets people in a head spin in terms of self-confidence and self-esteem sometimes. Yeah, I love it. Like the way I phrase that concept is like talking about radical acceptance of self. Uh, yes. And so it says that like, you know, why can't I be happy with who I am and where I am at and what I'm doing in this moment? That doesn't mean that like I'm not planning to do more in the future or that I'm settling for mediocrity. It's saying I can be happy and still want more for myself uh, or I don't have to be upset with where I was performing, you know, two or 20 years ago. It's OK. Like the version of me is good. And I don't know. It's it's really difficult for some people to accept that. Right, right. As I talk about in the Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit, I think it's because people tend to want to squish themselves down into a tiny little box. It's mm. like we want to make our whole identity one thing instead of accepting we're like multi-layered, complex beings with lots of interests that keep evolving and changing, which is a really expansive way of seeing yourself rather than this shrunken down, mm -hmm. limited sense. So an example of that would be like, if you played basketball in college and you spent the rest of your life beating yourself up, I can't play as well as I used to. I'm not an athlete. Nobody knows I'm an athlete anymore. I must not be worth anything because you've accidentally shrunken yourself down into like, my whole identity is being an athlete, right? right. In my twenties. Right. And now I'm in my thirties or forties. You know, that's, so that's a, we do that that all the time, right? With different labels that we slap oh, yeah, upon ourselves. Absolutely, I was going to say that that's a that's a beautiful example because it, it immediately made me think about like some of the better coaches in like the NBA that are famous. 
they played basketball. We don't really know them for basketball. Like Phil yeah. Jackson, he played in the NBA. I don't know that anybody knows what his career stats were <laughs> as, as an NBA player. But, but he evolved know, into a coach that a everyone phenomenal remembers. coach that right. won tons of championships, right? It's like if we get hung up on that first season of our lives and saying that, like you said, determining ahead of time that that's, this is the best it could ever be then moving forward becomes scary or, you know, time becomes so precious because it's like I've got to now extend this period because it will not ever be this good again. Yeah, you've got to see yourself as having more skills and talents and abilities to offer people or else, yep. yeah, you could get stuck, 100%. you know, emotionally. And you and I have talked before that the way we talk to ourselves is so important because our brains are always listening, no matter what we're saying, like our brains are not logging whether or not we're being sarcastic or overly dramatic. They're just hearing, you know, that sounds stressful. That sounds uplifting. And so not to make somebody too paranoid about everything you're thinking, because obviously we have a lot of mind chatter all day long. But what is your advice for kind of shifting that self-talk to a more motivational place? Uh, Mm -hmm. So when people say things, I'm really big on like what adjectives they use to describe their experience. They're like, oh, that would be horrible. And I'm like, horrible, huh? That's an interesting word. Mm. What would be so horrible about that? Because like when I hear horrible, here's how I understand it. How do you mean it when you say horrible? Uh, Because again, that's the message you're sending to your brain is that this would be a horrible experience. Is that what we want to tell our brain? And so being kind of really exact about the language choice uh, we make when we are describing our kind of internal experience uh, outwardly. Right, right. So let's just walk through that. When you personally make a mistake or something happens that you don't expect, how do you catch it? Like walk me through your own internal process with that. Sure. So like for me, say I, you know, wanted to uh, be somewhere I'm supposed to meet somebody for uh, coffee and it's supposed to be at 11 o'clock and I lost track of time and I didn't look at my clock and it's 10.50, and there's no way I'm going to make it there by 11. Yeah. Immediately, I have all the reactions like, oh, man, like, I really screwed up. Like, I wanted to be there. This wasn't my intention. Uh, You know, I'm going to be late. Uh, I don't like to have people wait on me. And so all that stuff runs through my head. What I don't do is go and say, oh, I'm such an idiot. I'm a terrible person. I'm yeah. horrible. I'll say, well, I'll just call them and tell them I'm running a bit late. And, you know, if they can wait, they can wait. And if not, I understand it because I it was my mistake, right? Like I didn't intend for this to happen, but it did. And I also say like, well, you know, I'm not perfect and I don't hold myself to be perfect. So, you know, I've made a mistake and I was imperfect in this moment. And if the person I was going to meet for coffee is kind of unrelenting or, you know, not willing to accept that I'm not a perfect human being, then, you know, maybe I got to monitor that relationship with that person because they have (laughs) uh, standards for me that are outside of what I'm capable of. I cannot be perfect all the time. Uh, And so I kind of pride myself on the fact of I do this thing called scaling. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I kind of like measure or I guess put a number value on, on what I've done. So it's like I'll say, well, I missed it this time. What percentage of me is always late in missing appointments? Right. And so it's like. Do I do that regularly of the time? Yeah. Yeah. 90% of the time. Then I'm like, oh, I get to a place where like, oh, if I think about it, it's only been like maybe 15% or it's like, oh, actually it's only like 7% of the time I've ever really been late. 
I don't have to beat myself up. Like 7%, that means 93% of the time I'm on time and I'm punctual. Nice. I should feel good about that, right? Like that's an A in my book. I don't know what school everybody else went to, uh, <laughs> but 93% is still really good. And I'm like, how far away from 100 or perfection do I have to get before something's really terrible or like I'm not really good or people shouldn't make plans with me? I would say at least like below 50%, then people should question it. I love that. I love that. So you call it scaling. And Mm -hmm. in a way, again, it's engaging the rational part of our brain to quantify something that feels like a vague feeling, like I should feel bad. Should I feel bad? I don't know. How do I rate this in my brain? And that's an easy trick to remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's worked for me. And I try to teach it to people that I work with. uh, Because I think once you take it out of the context of I did this thing that I didn't intend to do and somebody may be negatively impacted by it. Then the thing is to to say, did I make a mistake or is something wrong with me? And I think what we have a tendency to do is turn it into a character attack and we yeah. say, well, I'm a bad person. Uh, and it's, well, wait, I don't know that that's true. Let's Let's evaluate how often that happens before we start to say, this is who you are. You know, I mean, how many times, just like with like bad things, right? Like, you know, how many accidents do I have to get into before I say I'm a bad driver? Right. Right. Like, and I think people don't also do the good, like they will shy away from the good. Like how many three pointers do you need to make before people, before you can call yourself a good shooter? And right. I think good you know, point. Say like, we don't add up our little successes at right. all. And then right. we negatively, it's like, when you're a teacher and you're grading things on a on a scale and you're weighting all the points you get wrong, but you're like tripling it and no. you're not giving yourself any points for any of the questions you get right on the exam. Right, right. And it's like, well, that's imbalance. Our brain yeah. is going to interpret yeah. that experience as you do more things wrong than you do right. And that's not really the truth. What you didn't do was acknowledge the right, the right things that you did. Yeah. And so your brain has zero evidence to support that you do anything correctly. Once you're locked into that mindset, it's a lot harder to talk yourself out of it. So um, just to wrap this up, I'm having so much fun talking to you. I swear I could talk to you about these subjects for hours. <laughs> There's just so yeah, much there. Yeah, I love there. it. It's one of my favorite topics. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And it's so profound when you start digging into it and thinking about how it affects our everyday lives and the moods we wind up in at the end of the day. I just wanted to ask you if you had any tools you can leave the listeners with from your upcoming book, The Acknowledgement Journal, which is all about challenging your inner bully. For sure. Uh, one of my my favorite kind of uh, techniques, and this is uh, in, in the book as well, is like the concept of like putting thoughts on trial. Uh, and so it's really saying, hey, I'm having this thought. Let's let's evaluate it for its validity. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's, you know, go through the argument of why this is true. So if I've got this fear about, uh, you know, driving on the freeway uh, and, you know, freeway is dangerous. Let's let's get the av- evidence to support that that's true. Let's also get some counter evidence uh, to where, you know, it's not dangerous uh, and then we kind of, you know, evaluate both of those and and then start to make our final verdict on that stuff. Uh, right. So, you know, we might say, well, everybody's driving fast and that's dangerous. And, you know, you get in an accident when you're going that fast is less likely to live. And, you know, people aren't paying attention anymore. So they're texting and going fast. So it's scary. And mm-hmm. then you can say, well, also, you know, lots of people really do it. So if, if it were truly like the worst and most dangerous thing you would do, you would think that most people would not get on the freeway. And that's not what we see. 
And, you know, yeah. is how do we know that everybody's always on their phone? Like what percentage of drivers are actually, you know, distracted while driving on the freeway? Uh, you know, maybe that's on the street, surface street more, and maybe surface streets are more dangerous than the freeway. Uh, and so you kind of do that thing. And then you say at the end of it, once you kind of evaluate all the evidence, you say like, you know what? Yeah, it, it's dangerous, but driving is dangerous at times. And I will, you know, monitor myself and then respond to anything that comes up. Uh in a way that hopefully I'll be protected and okay. And so you don't have to live in this fear that I never need to get on the freeway ever again in life. Right. And even just taking the time to examine it, maybe do a worksheet on paper where you're, you know, writing out the different arguments. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that takes 15 minutes, but it can lead you to a whole nother mindset about an issue that you're feeling stuck on. And then you'll get adept enough to be able to kind of generalize that same skill to other areas and do it faster on the fly. Right. So I hope everyone out there is feeling inspired by what Stevan's saying. And I hope you'll take some time today to challenge that negative evidence that's been building up in your head and ask yourself, is this a feeling or a fact? Do I want to keep believing this? Or is there another place I can get to just by thinking it through a little bit that will lead me to a better place? Where else can people find you, Stevan? Uh, yeah, if you kind of Google my name, uh, I come up. So uh, Stevan <laughs> Lewis, S-T-E-V-O-N. Uh, my website, stevanlewis.com. Or uh, I'm most active, like you said, on Instagram, uh, Stevan, uh, Lewis, MFT, the letters MFT, Mary Francis Thomas. Uh, and also now, uh, you can find my journal, like I said, is a acknowledgement journal, uh, com, And, uh, it's really designed to kind of help people, uh, challenge their inner beliefs and get to a place of rationality. Uh, and then the last thing I have is, uh, my, my podcast, uh, how to talk to high achievers about anything. And you can find that wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Wonderful. I hope everyone will check out Steve Ong's book. I think if you do the acknowledgement journal and you check out my book, the ultimate self-esteem toolkit, you'll be in a good place to feel more confidence about yourself. We have a lot of similar approaches to things in terms of challenging those negative beliefs and getting yourself to talk to yourself with more compassion, which everybody needs these days, I think. Uh, I agree. I agree. And I, I that's why I like it, uh, speaking to you because it's, you know, you, you think like I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for joining me. I had so much fun talking to you. Thanks, Risa. Thanks for having me. To learn more about tools discussed on the show, please visit the ultimatetoolkitbooks.com and be sure to pick up a copy of my newest book, The Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit, which is in stores today all over the world. And now for the winners of our book giveaway contests. The signed copy of the Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit goes to Rina Santos of New York. Congratulations. And the winner of our double book giveaway, which includes the Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit and Stevon Lewis's new book, The Acknowledgement Journal, goes to Olivia Rice of North Carolina. Congratulations to both winners and thank you to everyone who participated. To learn more about future book giveaways, please follow me on Instagram at Risa Williams Therapy. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the show, be sure to check out future segments called The Daily Tune-Up, where Steve-On Lewis will return as a guest co-host. And he and I will be discussing ways to tune up your daily mindset a little more. I'm Risa Williams, and we're out of time. Thanks for listening.